And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. What? Good morning. Good morning. It's a good morning. <laughs> good dog. Uh, uh, let's just start the whole show over again. Can we have the uh, bumper music one more time? No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. All right. Uh, welcome to the show. This morning is, of course, Thursday, second best day of the week. It is the Real Investment Show, I think. And we will get into this this morning. Lots of uh, kind of big news today. Arm, uh, which is the you know, AI, you know, this is the, the whole, you know, again, the AI chase thing going on. Arm is, of course, manufacturer of, of chips. Uh, you know, they have you know, a lot of a lot of integrations into companies like Intel and NVIDIA, et cetera. In fact, um, most of the big companies, NVIDIA, Intel, et cetera, are, in, you know, are investors in the IPO. So, you know, it's a very closely knit relationship. But Arm debuts today. Fifty-four dollars a share is uh, sorry, priced at fifty-one dollars a share this morning with a fifty-four and a half billion dollar valuation. Uh, so that stock will go public today. We'll see how it trades. Now, one thing about IPOs is, you know, they're, they're, you're, you know, a lot of people are going to go. Oh, I got to go buy this IPO because it's just going to go up and it's going to be the next Nvidia, whatever it is. Maybe it is. Um, you know, the, the better way to approach an IPO is, is generally don't buy the IPO price. And here's why. You have to remember that when a company is coming public, they're not selling to you at a discount. They're not saying, you know, hey, we're a really good company, but we're going to give you a deep discount on the price of our company. No, they're selling the company shares to you at a premium valuation. This is why they're going public. You know, they, uh, they took an old jalopy, they fixed it up, they, they made it into this really fabulous car, they're taking it to the Mecham auction, and they're selling it not at a discount at the highest price. That's what this is, right? So this is a company coming public at the highest possible price that they think they can extract from you, the market. So generally, the best way to approach an IPO is just to wait. Now, you, there's a couple of reasons why waiting typically turns out to be better. First of all, we can go back to 2020 and look at all the IPOs that came public. Most of those are at or below their public offering price. Now, so, you know, again, they don't always work out as well. But most importantly, what you find out, wait 12 months before you buy the IPO. The reason is for a couple of things. First of all, uh, we're likely going to have a bit of a market turmoil probably next year. You'll get some rotation out of tech into value. That's probably going to be the likely transition next year. And when that occurs, then prices are going to come down and you can buy ARM at a, at a much better price. Also, too, you can see how the company actually performs in the open market, right? You start getting some technical data to work with, you know, where's, where's it overbought, where's it oversold. You can see how, they, how their earnings really look in the public light when they're reporting their earnings, you know, just how strong those revenues are. Does it support the current valuation? And so generally, it's, it's always kind of a rule of thumb, better just to wait. And yes, you may think that, oh boy, I'm missing out. Um, but look, if you had bought Apple back when it IPO'd, you made some good money, and then you lost most of it um, through the dot-com crash. And then since then, it's been a great ownership, right? And that's the same thing with, with Microsoft and just about every other company, Amazon, when it came public lost almost 90% of its value before it took off again. So uh, again, just, you know, sometimes just be a little bit patient here. 
you know, you, there's this, there's this, this our sense of urgency. You know, I've got to get in. I don't want to miss the next Nvidia. I don't want to miss the next, you know, whatever it is. I get that, but you know, generally, you're always generally better off just to be patient and wait. Anyway, that uh, arm's going to come public today. That's going to be the big news, is a big focus uh, all day in the financial media. Um, outside of that, we also have this morning some economic data coming out. We have PPI and, of course, retail sales coming up. So, again, those are going to be kind of the next big data points. CPI out yesterday. Mike and I are going to dig into all this this morning. But CPI was out yesterday, rose a bit on the back of energy prices. Not surprising. Gasoline prices were up. That feeds into the inflation equation. But, again, the core was up just a smidge. And, of course, when we look at energy, that gets excluded when we take a look at uh, core CPI. But again, it's housing prices. It's really the homeowner's equivalent rent, which is still declining here. And it's going to continue. That lag effect of lower house prices um, and lower rents are, are still feeding into. And that is a much bigger weight than energy in the overall inflation index. But we'll get into that this morning. Uh, the bottom line of that whole, <clears throat> that whole uh, report yesterday, the markets uh, rallied off of it initially was that this pretty much means the Fed's on hold, at least for this upcoming meeting. Again, something Mike and I will dig into a lot more in just a minute. Here's what you need to know before the bell. Um, volatility remains exceptionally low. In fact, you know, as, as over the last couple of days, despite CPI news and all this, volatility has actually dropped back to the lowest level that we've had this year and, and remains extremely compressed here. Um, we're getting on a pretty deep sell signal on a MACD basis. So again, just like a stock volatility index, we can look at the same way. Um, you know, we, it is getting fairly suppressed here in terms of the volatility range that it trades in. Pretty oversold at this point. And what that suggests is, is that we're due for a bout of volatility. Now, what could cause that? A variety of things. Um, coming up, we've got the United Auto Workers strike tonight, midnight. If there's not a deal reached, uh, the United Auto Workers will go on, on strike tonight. Um, that could impact quarter four in terms of the economy because, again, you can almost bet that used car prices are going to go up overnight if they go on strike. So, you know, there's going to be an impact potentially for quarter four, also to an impact to the economy. Um, if that starts to reduce earnings estimates, well, that's going to start to feed into lower stock prices, higher volatility. What else do we have coming up right around the corner? Another government shutdown, right? Coming up in October, going to be facing another uh, government shutdown. Uh, so again, that's another impact that could impact quarter four economic growth, make it weaker than it is. And of course, also the fact that, you know, when you start to, to look at what earnings estimates are, which are very, we, we've had a very big jump in earnings estimates for the fourth quarter. If those start getting ratcheted down, all of a sudden markets have to start reevaluating the prices being paid for those forward earnings. And of course, lastly, the student loan repayments start October the 1st as well. So again, there's another 10 to 12 to 15, depending on how you calculate it, billion dollars a month coming out of retail sales to go back to student loan payments. That could also uh, impact quarter four economic growth and earnings. So again, pay attention to what's happening here with volatility. We've had a very, we've had a very suppressed level of volatility here. Uh, wouldn't be surprised at some point here that we do get something that causes a pop in volatility. Could bring down stock prices a little bit more. But again, you know, as we move into the end of the year, October, November, December, uh, we're also going to be facing this kind of uh, catch up by portfolio managers. So 
again, the, the, the way forward is not clear by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's important to pay attention to volatility at these levels because to, historically, um, when you have such depressed volatility, you're going to wind up with a period of higher volatility. That doesn't necessarily mean this month, next month, December. It could be January, February, March of next year. It, it, these things can take a while, but again, this, this deep suppression volatility is certainly something worth paying attention to. Uh, that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Uh, as I said, when we come back, we'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz. We've got to talk about the Fed um, coming up. They're meeting next week. Also, the look at CPI, uh, PPI out this morning. How's that all going to feed into to all of this? And of course, this all relates back to the stock market. Very interesting if you pay attention to the, the deviation between growth and value right now. This year, value has had about a 0% rate of return versus the S&P 500, which is on the growth side of that, which is up 17% this year. That big deviation between growth and value isn't going to last for long. And we'll talk about more of that when we come back after the break with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. It is the Real Investment Show. It is Thursday, the second best day of the week. And that means Michael Leibowitz is also here. And, and he's going to be talking a bit today, or we'll be discussing uh, today together, uh, the inflation report, the PPI report, the upcoming Fed meeting. And during the show, I will be also interjecting with things you can say in response to literally anything when you have nothing else to say. So... <laughs> It's a great list. It's a, it's a great list of statements. So uh, we'll be using some of those this morning. Um, all right, Mike. So again, uh, yesterday, the, the, the very much anticipated CPI report, lots of angst and hand wringing over the last you know, couple of weeks because oil prices have, have risen here a bit. We're about $89 a uh, barrel this morning. Um, you know, again, every time oil prices go up, there's always you know, this, you know, this big debate within the overall markets. Um, but we got the CPI report. It was a little bit higher, um, but kind of in, right in line with estimates for the most part, 0.6% uh, increase in CPI. Again, looking at these year-over-year -year comparisons, part of that did was driven by, by gasoline and energy prices, really, which made up the most of the increase. Uh, what was your initial kind of takeaway? Yeah, so the first thing I always look at is how was it versus estimates? Um, and what that tells you is, is it a surprise or is it not? And then, and yesterday, it was more or less right in line with estimates. And I think more importantly, the, the headline number, so that's the big CPI number, was plus 0.6 for the month. So people look at that and said, wow, 0.6 for the month. If you annualize that, it's what, 7.2%. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of inflation. But again, it's one month. And when you look at the core number, it was in line with expectations and continues to fall on a year-over-year -year basis. So what's core versus what's headline? Headline is everything. Core excludes food and energy. 
And I know you're thinking, well, that's what I spend all my money on. <laughs> Why would you take that out of the inflation data? And the Fed's ration and the rationale to present it both ways. And, and keep in mind, the Fed prefers core. And there is some reason to it. It's because food and energy prices are volatile. And a lot of times they move for non-economic, non-Fed reasons. So OPEC right now is cutting production. There's nothing the Fed can do about that. So should they change policy based on that? If there's droughts in the Midwest, food prices can go up a lot. Again, the Fed can't do anything about droughts. So the Fed likes to look at core because they feel it's within their realm of uh, how monetary policy can affect inflation. But Lance, you brought up the biggest part, energy uh, prices for the month were up about 10%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fuel, gasoline, were all up over 10%. And the energy component was up over five and a half percent. Now, the other half of it is electricity and utility type, um, type fuels, type, uh, heat, you know, housing, heat, yeah, how, you know, home oil, he heating oil, because we're going into winter is going to be a big issue. Um, of course, right. we had you know had very hot temperatures in Texas, so we had electricity costs were going up you know in Texas. But again, to your point, and and you know this the reason the Fed strips these out is because a these are just very volatile. Yeah, they're up right now, but in the course of the next couple of months, energy prices will come down again as we get into winter months, and if we have a, a you know an economic slowdown um, and demand drops, which is likely going to be the case, then you know those commodity based prices will fall more. So. One of the other reasons you're right, you know, the, one of the reasons the Fed strips this out is because it's beyond their control, but they're also just very volatile. So if I change policy every time energy prices jumped up or went down, you know, my policy would be all over the place. Right. 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 I'm looking at the gasoline prices, just looking at the last six, seven months, plus one percent down four point six plus three down five point six mm -hmm. plus one flat plus ten. Yeah. So how do you do that? You know, that unlike all the other prices, it's 10, 15, 20 times more volatile and it's up and down. Uh, and year over year energy prices are still down. So if you strip out energy, the number was about 0.3. Now, there's another what I think is a much bigger problem, and that's shelter prices. And shelter is basically it's about 40 percent of CPI. And there's basically two numbers that go into it. It's rents. So these are actual mm -hmm. rents that people pay. And then there's imputed rents where they try to figure out what rent should be based on housing prices. And the problem I have with those, if you look at any measure of rent in the real world, you know, Zillow, uh, apartmentrent.com, there's a million of them. Mm -hmm. They're all flat to negative. They've all they've all stabilized. Their, their annual growth is zero and in some cases negative. But the number last week was or last uh, yesterday was 0.3. So that means their version of rent is still running at plus 3.6 percent if you annualize it. Right. But but real quick, and that's a great point. But we also have to remember that when you look at homeowners equivalent rent and the stuff that you're looking at is like Zillow and those stuff, that's more real time data. The, the, the owner homeowners equivalent rent component is probably running a three to a six month lag within the, the Fed, the Fed's measures. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's the point that we're looking at numbers that are probably from March, 
maybe April, mm -hmm. whereas we know that that number is probably zero. So half the, you know, again, you can then take off another tenth or two from that 0.6. And if you take off a 0.3 for energy, you're down to 0.1, maybe being conservative 0.2% inflation, which is 2.4% if you annualize it. And I would argue we're under two and a half percent if you kind of just just use real shelter prices and strip out the energy volatility. Right. And, and, and you know, and, and this is important, too, because, again, there's been a whole lot of hand wringing over the last, you know, couple of weeks. I can't tell you how many emails I got because of, you know, podcasts that people saw or whatever. It's like, oh, energy prices are up. That means inflation is about to shoot through the roof again. Um, you got to be really careful with that because, you know, as, as again, when we talk about energy and that, this and when we talk about energy in the inflation index, it makes up about 7% of the total. But gasoline and and actual oil prices make up about 3%. The rest of it's things like heating oil, electricity, the stuff you use in your household, those type of things, natural gas. That's all fed in there and that makes up about 7% of the overall index. Homeowners equivalent rent is over third over a third of the index. So, if and if if inter, if energy goes up, you know, by a dollar, it's only a seven you know a seven cent impact into the calculation of inflation. But homeowners equivalent rent is over a third of that calculation. So if that is flat to zero, energy can go up a whole lot, and inflation is still going to come down. Right, right, and you know what the other the other thing I saw. I saw yesterday is, you know, I think it's easy to pick on us. Oh, we're bond bulls, so we're trying to downplay the inflation mm -hmm. report. Well, just look at what the markets did. Bond yields fell yesterday. Stocks rose yesterday. Yeah. They see the same thing that we saw. They looked right through the numbers. They saw why it was up. They, 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 you know, the, the, the BLS puts out a table. It's not hard to digest this number within a few minutes and understand what drove it. Um, so based on the markets, um, it, 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 you know, it's an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Um, we shouldn't expect a surge in inflation because energy prices, like you said, are going up right now. Crude's at 90 bucks. If it stays at 90, that's a very high number. If gasoline at the pump near you is around four, you know, probably five on the West Coast, and what is it, two fifty by Ulans? <laughs> oh, it's almost free here. They just almost give it away at the pump, you know, because we're just swimming in oil in Texas. So, <laughs> right, right. They're like, but, we can't get rid of this stuff. As just take it and take it out. No, it does. it's still running probably uh, north of three fifty a gallon right now. Right. Yeah. Right. But where whatever it is, gasoline's between three fifty and I think it's even six in California. Yeah. And crude oil's ninety. If it stays at these levels, those are very high levels. But if it stays at this level next next month, that's zero percent monthly inflation. And if it's at these same levels a year from now, year over year inflation will be zero. Right. So keep in mind, it's not the absolute price; it's the change in the price, that's and that's right. a big factor. And this is why fate brought us together. So <laughs> that's one of those statements you can say literally anytime. Uh, <laughs> that one in in this economy. Yeah, <laughs> you can say it all. Um, but yeah, this is this is kind of the and again, when we come back from the break, I want to kind of sh uh, shift gears here into the upcoming Fed meeting, which is next week. Uh, this morning, uh, we've got initial jobless claims coming out. Retail sales month over month. Those are expected to be up 0.1 percent. 
versus 0.7 last month. So remember last month we had this big surge in retail spending, and, and there was a couple of reasons for that. First of all, it was people knowing that they're about to have to start making student loan payments again, so they're like, we're going to have a spending spree before the money goes away. Um, and then also, too, you had Amazon uh Prime Day, you had uh, uh, you know July Fourth, you had a whole lot of other things kind of feeding into that July number. So now we're going to get a look at August and see what that looks like, and that's expected to have a pretty sharp and also back to school shopping those type of things. So now we're going to kind of get the payback from that. It's expected to be up 01 percent. Wouldn't be surprised if we even saw a negative print on retail sales today. So that, that's not entirely even out of the question. But I think, and this is, and when we come back from the break and, and pick up with talking a bit about, you know, the Fed and the outlook for uh, their meeting and really kind of going forward, you know, we've got to start kind of coming back and looking at the consumer and what's going to happen here in terms of that. Also, uh, we've got PPI out today. Uh, that's so. This is the other version of inflation. So we have consumer price index, which is what we just spent a whole segment talking about. But now we're going to see the producer side of the equation. Uh, this morning as well. Again, headline versus core. What does the Fed pay attention to? But that's expected to be up um, 0.4 versus 0.3 previously. So we'll get a, a, a look at that this morning as well. So all right, be right back after the break. We'll loop back in on the Fed. Uh, their meeting coming up next week. It's a two-day meeting to set policy. Will they hike rates? Won't they hike rates? What's the outlook for the rate? Uh, you know, kind of rate hikes from here. Are they done? We'll get into all that more with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com right now nasdaq futures pointing up about 64 points this morning dow's up a little bit over 100 points s&p's up about 19 pre-market and this is after uh Yesterday's bit of a ride in the markets. Uh, markets opened up kind of a little bit on the weak side initially just because of the CPI print. Then, as Mike said in the last segment, that, you know, very quickly the markets kind of figured it out and rallied pretty sharply, kind of chopped around most of the day, sold off a little bit, and then finished back up in positive territory. So a bit of a choppy, sloppy trading day again. Uh, exactly what we've been talking about. We're in the month of September. Uh, we've probably got a couple more weeks of this sloppy kind of market trading action. And then we'll get into October, November, December. So um, that's where you're going to get $5 billion a day in stock buybacks through the end of the year. So again, that's one of the things to keep a watch on. Um, so having said that, um, again, we have PPI out in about an hour. Uh, that'll be coming out. Uh, like I said, uh, PPI is going to expect to come in at 0.4% expected, uh, 0.3 previously. The core PPI coming in at 0.2. Um, so, again, pretty much in line with kind of this idea of running at about 2% economic growth and 2% inflation over the next couple of years, which is what the Fed's target is. 
Um, but again, this is all going to feed. This is the, these are going to be the last prints that the uh, and retail sales today also. But these will be the last prints that uh, the Fed sees in regards to employment and inflation before their meeting next week. And of course, they they already have this information, so they're already processing it. But um, this this will be the last data points they have going into their meeting. And of course, if they are going to remain data dependent, the question is: is does the Fed hike rates at the next meeting? Um, and more importantly, are they done hiking rates at the at this point? I mean, this is what the market's been kind of hoping for. Every you know single meeting, we go from one meeting to the next. Is this the meeting the Fed's going to stop hiking rates, and then it's not, and then we go to the next meeting? Um, but we are getting to the point to where we are very close to them no longer hiking rates. Now, is it this meeting? Is it next meeting? Is the meeting after that? I don't know. But we are getting to the point that they will stop hiking rates sooner rather than later. Uh, Mike, what's your what's your initial takeaway here? I, I agree 100 percent, but I don't think they're ever going to tell us they're going to stop hiking rates. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to keep that stick over the market because as soon as they make a statement like that, stocks rally and then you get the stock effect. Right. The, the market will immediately assume that cutting rates is next and you get a rally. And I don't think they really want to see a big rally which fuels inflation and you know promotes economic growth, which is good, but it fuels inflation. Um, you know, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is the uh, NFIB report, which is a small business survey. And small businesses are a very important part of our economy. They account for, what is it, 50% of employment, if mm -hmm. not more, Lance? Yeah, a little bit more. Right. So we've been talking a lot about employment and the labor market is always kind of the last big economic uh sector to turn before you get a recession so it's really hard to predict re recession timing down to the week and month because employment as employment turns that's usually when the recession starts so you have to look at other indicators besides the monthly BLS report. One of them is jobless claims, which we talk about. And that has shown little to no signs that there's really any problems in the labor market. The NFIB report has a labor a labor section in it. And that's something that's worth following, given that half, you know, roughly half employees work for small businesses. Mm -hmm. And yesterday's report had a few things that are not concerning, but telling. So for one, unfilled job openings have been declining now for almost a year. They peaked at a very high level, well above any point where they were in the last almost 50 years. But they've now fallen back and it, they're almost they're they're virtually at the level where we were right before the pandemic started. So that's telling you that all the job openings are starting to get filled. Companies are getting more comfortable with their staffing levels and they're is a high correlation between job openings, both the NFIB and the JOLTS report and the unemployment rate. So it's still at a high level, but it's been falling. And typically when that falls, the unemployment rate rises. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. The other big, I think a little more telling was job creation plans is now sitting at like a seven or eight year low. Mm -hmm. So the kind of takeaway from both of those statistics is that companies have largely filled their hiring needs they were running with less employees than they wanted they filled those needs but they're not going out to hire anymore again small businesses right so a lot of the growth in payrolls 
may be ending as companies have kind of met their needs, but they're not expanding. They're not, they don't need more employees. Um, the, the other interesting thing, and this kind of gets more to profit margins and productivity, is that the, uh, the, the costs are still a concern, but one of the other big concerns for these companies is that labor quality for a quarter of the firms was the number one problem. And about a 10% of them say that labor costs are their biggest problems. Now, 25% and 10% don't seem like big numbers, but for those two categories, those are the highest they've ever been. So companies, some companies are worried about costs and they're not happy with the quality of labor. That's a labor productivity problem with which eats into margins. And we've seen that in the broad national labor productivity numbers as well. So again, the, you know, the NFIB report is not pointing to an unemployment rate shooting higher, but it is telling you that the labor market is very much stabilizing and getting back to a more normal uh, functioning, which again, it doesn't say there's a recession coming, but I think what it does say is that wages should be calming down now. And one of the Fed's biggest concern was wage price spiral. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that may be, uh, you know, the whole wage pressures on prices should be coming to an end if what the NFIB is saying is happening throughout the economy. Right. And again, you know, this, this all goes back to, you know, the shuttering of the economy back in 2020. And again, and we just had this chart in our report uh, uh, last week, uh, this, this past week, showing full-time employment relative to the working age population, which has only returned back to where it was pre-pandemic. So all, so, so again, when you shutter the economy, none of what happened should have been a surprise to anybody. When you shutter the economy and you tell everybody to go home, and then you reopen the economy and you're trying to hire people back. People are going, well, I got 16 job offers, so you're going to have to pay me more than the other 15 job offers I've got to come back to work for you. Because everybody was scrambling to hire people back as we reopen the economy. So now all we've done is just replace the full-time labor force back to where it was in, in 2019. And actually, full-time employment has actually, as a percentage of the working age population, has actually declined over the last four months. So... We've actually probably seen the peak in this rush employment. And to your point, now that we've hired everybody back, I don't need to pay up for jobs anymore. And, and we're seeing companies like Walmart now cutting their, cutting their wages. We're seeing wage growth plans declining because there's no need. I don't, you know, I've got to your point, I've now I've, I've overpaid to get people back to work, but now I've got all my employees. So the next guy I hire, I'm going to, Pay, probably pay that guy less because I don't need to hire it. And there's not a massive a massive surge of job openings that is out there that people have to choose from. And in fact, you know, this is why we see the quit rates now starting to decline. People are being a lot more cautious about quitting a job to job hop to somebody else because that job isn't necessarily there. And, and so, again, right. that, to your point, this is all going to feed into that, you know, inflation and kind of that, and you've written about this before about the hope framework, where you know employment is one of the the key factors of that hope framework for the economy. But I think we've seen the peak in that activity, and we're going to start seeing this kind of downward pressure now, uh, particularly as the economy slows going into next year. Right, right, and you know I think one of the reasons employment is so important is because it's confidence. Right. When we have 
confidence in our jobs, confidence that we're going to get the next paycheck, confidence that we can get a raise if we want it, confidence that we're making a lot of money, confidence that all the people, colleagues around us are doing well, we spend a lot of money. When confidence wanes, we start saving money, we start protecting. And you mentioned it, the quits rate. That's probably one of the biggest measures of confidence. Quits weight rate measures people that have quit their jobs in search of other jobs. So they quit a paying job. They weren't fired. They quit because they must have a lot of confidence that they can get either a better job. Maybe it's closer to home. Maybe it's doing something they like or a job that pays more. In most cases, it's a combination of both. When you have a lot of confidence, you quit your job and go find, think you can go find another job. When you have no confidence, you, you have the exact opposite attitude and you start saving money. So within the home framework, the E has a lot to do with confidence. And it's not even necessarily your job that's confidence. It's the guy sitting next to you, the woman sitting to your right. If they get fired, you're like, well, I could be next. Or, you know, those people didn't get raises. That's probably me. I better start saving money, spending less. And that's where confidence pay, plays a key role. And that's where consumer confidence and the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Surveys also help us try to understand what's going, what potentially will happen with the economy based on consumer attitudes. All right, that uh, wraps up the segment. We'll be right back and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the markets, money, and uh, kind of where we go to next as we get ready you know, to move into the latter half of September uh, and setting up for the seasonally strong period going into the year. That's next on The Real Investment Show. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com so brent you've met my wife right yes christina yeah. lovely yeah. woman lovely woman you know she's five foot four intimidating long blonde hair oh she's a pistol yeah she is so i was fired up yesterday over something one of my kids that one of my kids did and you know she got it my daughter got a ticket in Sealy for driving too fast so I'm, I'm all fired up over this Sealy Sealy Texas she was on her way to college just going too fast anyway I'm all fired up because I get this letter from the city of Sealy you know the, the court date and all this stuff in it for the uh, the traffic ticket so I come in the house. I'm, I, so I was out in my office working, and, and my wife was in the kitchen. Now, it is very common in my household because my wife has ADD, so she's constantly having to do something, right? So it's, it's very normal for us to have a, a full-blown, even an argument, right? Um, and she'll be, like, washing dishes and doing other stuff. So it's uh, we're completely used to, to, you know, her not looking at me when we're having a conversation. She's multitasking. Just, she's, she's always multitasking. So I come in, I'm all fired up over this because she apparently let my daughter get away with this. And so, but, you know, look, I don't yell. I don't raise my voice. I state my case very calmly. 
I use facts. I use figures. I, I, I am very precise about what I say. And she didn't respond. She just kept doing it. I was like, I won this argument. And then she reached up underneath her hair and she pulled out her earbud and she says, yes, dear, did you say something to me? And I was like, yeah, I asked you what was for dinner. <laughs> Lance, you know you never win arguments. <laughs> so, yeah, but I'm for a moment, Mike, for a moment, I was sure I had won that argument. I was sure of it. Anyway, Never. I did get dinner, so that was that was the that was the upside of that whole situation. <laughs> anyway, um, back to the markets and what's going on. Um, you know, this is uh, we're we're you know we talked about the fact we had this big kind of rally uh, in in July and the market's doing well. And we said, hey, markets are very over overbought, very extended. We need a five percent correction. That's very normal. You're going to get one. And we're in the seasonally strong. We're in the seasonal period of the year, August September, where you typically kind of get that correctional phase of the market. And that's exactly what's happened so far. We had a five percent correction in August. We've been trading pretty sloppily. Um, really through the first half of September. And that's likely going to continue here for the next week or so. And, and we could see a little bit more downside here. It wouldn't be surprising um, to see the market have a bit of a, a correction heading into the end of September. It's also the end of the quarter coming up. So, again, there could be some pressure on rebalancing as well in portfolios um, as we start to wrap up the month. But then we get into October, November, December, which typically are stronger periods of the year. This is the you know, beginning October begins the seasonally strong six months of the year. So wouldn't be surprising that we see better performance in the year for a variety of reasons. One, um, portfolio managers this year, again, if you've owned anything in your portfolio, and I was talking about I was talked about this briefly in the the opening segment. If you take a look at a portfolio of value stocks, um, they have had basically no return this year. If you look at the market X, the top 10 stocks, that return is about 35 to 4% for the year. So if you've owned anything other than the top 10 stocks of the index, you're vastly underperforming the market. And that's going to be the vast majority of portfolio managers really across the universe of, of funds. And particularly if you're in small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets, that performance is, is even worse. So there's going to be this need to play catch up into the end of the year. So we're going to potentially have a bid under stocks as portfolio managers try to get their portfolios aligned for end of the year reporting. Because, again, it comes down to career risk um, for, for them. Because, again, if I underperform dramatically, then, you know, I lose, you know, if I'm an ETF or if I'm a mutual fund or if I'm a hedge fund, whatever it is. If I vastly underperform my benchmark index, then money's going to move to somebody else. And that's just the, the risk of the markets. Or if I'm a mutual fund manager, I potentially lose my job. So depends on what's going on. And that happens all the time. So career risk is a very important thing uh, for the market. So we're probably going to see a bit of performance chasing into the end of the year, which could provide a bit under stocks. Now, there's certainly things that can undermine all that. But, you know, looking at seasonal trends and tendencies – this is kind of how the market is setting up currently. Also, once we get now that we're through earnings season, we're going to be bidding about five billion dollars a month in November, December, heading into the end of the year for stock buybacks. And stock buybacks have been kind of suppressed here over the last couple of months. Looking at the four week average of buybacks that has been declining. 
But again, there's a lot of cash sitting on the books of some of these big companies. And again, this is uh, buybacks really only affect big, large cap, mega cap companies. Small cap and mid cap companies can't really do stock buybacks. They don't have the capital to do it with. So pretty much you'll see the performance pickup will be in large cap stocks versus small and mid emerging markets international. Um, so it's kind of the setup going into the end of the year. Micah, any, any thoughts? Yeah, and it also seems like the setup, based on you know a lot of what you just said, will be back towards those top 10 stocks, right? If, if you're chasing performance, if you're underperforming the market, one way to try to catch up is do what worked yesterday. Um, and that's buying the Apples, NVIDIAs, the Microsofts. Um, so, so there's the potential that those stocks continue to lead the way while others lag. And, you know, it may very well be that some money managers get out of those that lagged and jump into those that have been doing really well, which could further fuel that um, the, the big 10 stocks kind of leading the way for another few months. Again, this isn't the way the market will be for the next 10 years, but this is the theme. This has been the theme for the year. And we see different themes, usually on a yearly basis. So like, yeah, I think you said it earlier, next year may be the year of value, but that's 2024. That may be the second half of 24. It may be the first half of 24. But right now, you have to play the theme that, that the market is in, that the market is giving you. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you try to put yourself in the shoes of these hedge funds that are trying to catch up, these large institutional money managers. And they have to be thinking that if the market starts going up and it's led by Apple and Microsoft and the others, I'm just going to have to bite the bullet. I don't, you know, valuations be darned, I'll jump in. So, you know, one of the assumptions is if we rally that what the rally that happened throughout most of this year will continue in those same stock names. Uh, so it's just something to be aware of. It doesn't mean it's going to play out like that. It doesn't mean the market's going to rally just because stocks are buying back or just because passive flows continually to come in the market. But right now, based on what we have, we have to assume that what led the market up this way will continue until it doesn't. And there are really no signs that those themes have stopped. Right. But but again, you know, they while those and again I think the the important part the point that you're making here is is that that's just the situation right now. Mm -hmm. Let's just go back to October of last year. You know, we wrote an article: Are Fang stocks dead? Because everybody assumed that Apple, Microsoft, and, and Google and these companies nobody wanted to own them anymore, and that and that their time in the sun was over. And energy stocks were up sixty percent that year. So. You know, in just a year, we went from the most hated stocks to now this is the only set of stocks that, that people want to own. That doesn't mean that next year we're not going to see a rotation out of these stocks into deeply discounted value stocks under a weaker economic growth scenario or even a potential recession that detracts from their ability to generate earnings growth. So, uh, again, this is something we're talking about over the next three months. But once we get into next year, there's a whole parameter of, of of events that could happen that could drive a rotation in markets out of these stocks, you know, again, back into other areas of the markets. It happens on a regular, this kind of rotation in the market happens on a regular basis. And there's a really good chart that Callan um, puts out every year. It's, it looks like a periodic table of the elements. And they look at 
you know, performance of small cap, mid cap, large cap, bonds, emerging markets, international, and they rank them from top to bottom uh, by their performance in each given year. And what you see is, is that whatever tends to perform the, the best in one year, maybe two years in a row maximum, typically is the worst performer after that. And whatever was the worst performer previously is now the best performer because it's just the way markets are, are going to deal. And this is, this is the, always the problem when people tell you, oh, you know, I'm buying, you know, commodities because of A, B, or C, and, and so I'm 100% investing in commodities because that's what's working right now. But next year, something's going to change economically and commodities will be the worst performer. And that's just and this is why it's always very dangerous to have a very one-sided bet in your portfolio and say I'm only long this because this is my belief and this, and and this is going to be the way it is over the next 10 years. That's never the case. And so it's important to understand first of all diversification is a very important part of your portfolio. But it's also important not to make very outsized, one-sided bets on one event to occur without a very strong fundamental underlying premise about why that is potentially the case. And again, there's, 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 things, you can, there's things you can see coming, right? Like, for instance, we know rates are going lower. You can see that coming as plain as day. That's just a function of time. But, you know, thinking that, you know, uh, you know, tech stocks are going to be the thing at these valuations for the next 20 years is probably not a good bet. Mike, go ahead. Right. And I was just going to say, having your finger on the pulse, you can make these assumptions about what will happen, about what will happen. But, for instance, utilities are up 5% over the last five or six trading days while the market is flat to lower. Yeah. So is that the beginning of a new rotation or is it just an out of favor sector that's having a one, two week? you know, day in the sun. Um, but, you know, constantly looking at those rotations and are there trends that are appearing or are they just blips and are we just constantly going back to the theme that has worked all year? So, you know, yes, we can have a presumption that something will happen, but you really have to keep your finger on the pulse. So let it be written. So let it be done. That wraps up the show for today. And, uh, Tomorrow, Danny Ratliff and Richard Russell here for Financial Fitness Friday, our newsletter out this weekend. Uh, we're going to be digging into valuations a bit this weekend. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.